أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله brothers and sisters and welcome to episode number 28 of the A Lesson Per Page Quran program Inshallah today we will begin with page number 115 of the Holy Quran Islamic Penal Code An Eye for an Eye so there, there are some things we want to talk about in regards to this um, this retaliation law, they call it. This law and rule of an eye for an eye. It's not the same in different faiths. It, in some faiths, um, you will have such a rule. In others, it might be discouraged. Um, and then we want to talk a little bit about uh, the importance of having such um, a law um, and why our scholars explain why such a law is there to begin with. So let us recite the verse and then get to those details, inshallah. Verse number 45 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Wa katabna alayhim fiha anna nafsa bin nafsi wal ayna bil ayni wal anfa bil anfi wal udhuna bil udhuni wal sinna bil sinni wal juruhu qisas. فَمَنْ تَصَدَّقَ بِهِ فَهُوَ كَفَّارَةٌ لَهُ وَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْكُمْ بِمَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ And in it, we prescribed for them a life for a life, an eye for an eye. And this is when it says in it, it's talking about the Torah, the book of the Yahud. An eye for an eye, a nose for a nose, and an ear for an ear, a tooth for a tooth, and retaliation for wounds. Yet whoever remits it out of charity, you know, forgives. Out of charity meaning here means, you know, gives it away, overlooks such a thing, doesn't want to retaliate, then that shall be an atonement for him. So before we get into the details of the verse, um, this point here is very important and it stands out. That it's Islam's not after hurting anybody necessarily, right? But there is a holistic picture that Islam pursues, okay? That we'll, we'll talk about some of that. But the point I want to make here right now be, as we read is that as you can see, it says um, if you want to forgive the person, now here it says whoever remits it out of charity, tasaddaqa bihi. What is meant though is that if you overlook, if you relinquish the right of retaliating if someone's harmed you then this is an this is an atonement for you in other words it's another it's a it's an excuse for Allah um, um, to forgive your sins yes it's an excuse for Allah to uh, to forgive your sins so this is the this you could say is what Islam is encouraging that people forgive uh, but all in all if someone doesn't want to forgive Islam doesn't get in the way either and we'll talk about that a little bit, inshallah. Alright, so um, let me finish the translation and then we will continue. So the translation goes on to say, Those who do not judge by what Allah has sent down, it is they who are the wrongdoers. So in other words, these are the rules, these are the laws. You have to go by these laws. Now of course, I do have to say this before we actually get into some of the details I want to cover. Um, and that is that uh, when it says that you these are these, these are, this is the penal code. This is for a place where you know Islamic law is governing, and Islamic law is the go-to in an Islamic maybe country or state or whatever. This is not some someone shouldn't read this. No one should read verses like these and then think that they can carry out such things. Right? Even in a non-Muslim land or non-Muslim country, that's not the case. That is something very important. There are some who have extreme views and they might do certain things because they say this is Islamic code, this is Islamic law and so on and so forth. No, who gave you authority? An Islamic judge has to sanction such a thing. Not just anybody who picks up the book of the, uh, the, book of the Quran and says, oh, Time to carry out God's laws or something. No, there is a process for all of this. Then there, 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 it's actually a very strict one as well. And so um, that's a fiqhi matter that we're not going to get into too much detail. Of. All right, so going back to the verse itself. Um, 
the verse itself, uh, if we want to give it some context, some have mentioned that some of the Jews of Medina, they would discriminate against others of their own people actually when it came to retaliation. And so the Holy Prophet reminds them, or the verse here is reminding them, that look, in your book, this is the law. And of course, this is the law in Islam as well. And uh, as we all know and we all believe that, yes, it's not like the Torah is a whole different book than the Qur'an. There's a lot of overlap. There will be a lot of overlap. Now, the Torah that we have today, not necessarily, but the Torah of Prophet Musa salam, when Islam comes, it completes these previous faiths. It's not like it comes with a whole new set of laws and a whole new set of beliefs. No. And we will talk about this in another page as well, inshallah, in this session. Um, anyway, um, so they would discriminate. They would discriminate and as a result of that, this verse is reminding them that no, no, this is not the case. You're not allowed to do this. Alright, so now this is this is the actual rule, this is the actual law, and as I said, Islam has the same law. I want to share with you um, what we find, and you, many of you probably have heard this and know about this, what we find in the New Testament. Yes, and you can say, you can have that, you can say that this is what the Christian faith has when it comes to uh, penal code, kind of. Um, I don't want to call it penal code here in this case with the Christian with Christianity in Christianity when I, I'll read the scripture a little bit for you you get a feeling that this is more of a not a penal code but this is more of a of, of, of a guideline that is pro provided by Jesus alayhi salam uh, of how to deal with people okay when they have hurt you um, it says here this is Matthew 5 38 to 39 um, says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Prophet Isa is making reference to the Mosaic uh, law here of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Don't stand up against him. But if anyone s slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do I want to, brothers and sisters, um, do I want to necessarily say that uh, this is something that Jesus actually said that's in the in in the New Testament? Whether he said it or not really is another story, but in both cases there is an explanation. Either you say that okay, no, we don't believe Jesus would say such a thing. And there are some who have written books on this matter of Jesus how was Jesus really a very passive individual or was he more of like a zealot type of person? Um, and a person of resistance, actually. So that that's a different story. I don't want to get into that. So some might just say, you know, um, this is just made up. This is not true. He didn't say it. It's just something that was injected into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but if, if a person wants to say that, no, no, I believe that this is what Jesus actually said, um, and I don't believe that this is a, a, a falsified account here, what can be said is that Jesus السلام, came at a time, at a special time, a very special, sensitive time, where everything was about rituals and uh, the crust, if you want to say, of faith and forgetting about the essence of things. The Yahud and the Bani Israel of his time, that's what they had really, um, uh, for them, that's what religion boiled down to, a set of rituals and laws and dryness and Prophet Isa came to kind of point out that, look, at the end of the day, the faith is supposed to reach the hearts. It's all about the core and essence. Don't just stick to the crust of things. And so his teachings for Bani Israel and his time are very special and specific. So even if somebody believes that um, uh, Prophet uh, Isa uttered such words that are in Matthew, um, then uh, this will be an explanation that can be given for this. That yes, he's reminding them, look, people, like what happened? Why are you always after making sure that you go by you go by the, uh, the rules um, to the T? No, 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 no. You can be forgiving. You can be a little flexible and lenient towards people. All right, so having said all of that, let's talk about 
Islam now. So Islam has this rule. Yes, we have this rule in our penal code of an eye for an eye and a nose for a nose and so on. And this is something that everybody knows. Um, some might ask, isn't it better to just have love? Yeah, if someone does, if someone wrongs us, let's have love towards them and so on. Brothers and sisters, I just want to say, number one, Islam does give the option for forgiveness, right? And it says if you forgive, then this will be an excuse for Allah to forgive you. Kafaratullah, number one. But let's, let's be realistic a little bit here, okay? The benefits that our scholars have pointed out for there being such retaliation is that, I'll just point out a few, okay? Um, number one is that this is a preventative measure itself. If somebody knows that they're going to hurt somebody else, they will also be hurt. That will be very preventative. Versus, I hurt somebody else, I just know I'm going to end up in jail where I get free food, you know? And, you know, maybe they'll have some internet, maybe I'll have other things as well. There are some amenities. No one likes jail, of course, and I'm not trying to paint a nice picture of it. But there's no crazy suffering and pain. Like, if someone, I don't know, God forbid, God forbid, like, hurts somebody or chops off their arm or something, like, if they know that that, that might happen to them as a result, yeah, true, they might forgive me, but they might be very upset and they might want to retaliate as well. This person will think twice or thrice or even more before doing something like this to somebody else. Lots of times people have this hope, okay, we'll go to jail, we'll get out, you know, sooner than, you know, later and, you know, or we'll figure stuff out, you know. that's. But if you know that pain and suffering that you inflict on others, will be, you will be made subject to the same then that is going to be a very strong preventative measure and prevention um, of you doing such a thing. So that's number one that some scholars have pointed out. They also will say that, look, why does a country, a state, a, uh, um, a kingdom, whatever you want to call it, have to go and pay um, and incur such a burden of, of, of such a financial burden of having a whole prison system, a whole jailing system, and all of these expenses that comes or come with that, with that prison system. Now, in this day and age, you can easily tell that there's politics behind it. There's personal gain and interest behind there being such a huge prison system, right? But scholars explain that look, why are we have to why, not only are we not preventing when when we just pick people to prison instead of allowing retaliation to happen? But um, we're also spending a lot, tons and tons of money on taking care of these people who are now in prison. So that will also be, be you know, you'll be saving a lot of money as well. And then another thing they point out is the psychological effects and implications. When someone has been hurt very badly, it will eat away at them for the rest of their life. Lots of times it makes them feel better if retaliation takes place. It's not fair to this person. Why do they have to pay the price of all the psychological burden um, that comes with knowing that the killer of his mother or father or sibling is just sitting there in jail doing nothing, you know? Things like that. But there, there's a ton of other explanations that have been given in regards to this. At the end of the day, this is one of those things that you find in the Mosaic Law. You also find it in Islamic law, and there's explanations that have been given. Um, and to sum it all up, really, there's a verse in the Quran that says, "Walakum fil qisasi hayatun la ya ulil albab." That oh, you you know, possessors of intellect, if you think a little bit, in retaliation there lies a life. When you allow, and you leave the doors of retaliation open, of course, as I said, there's a whole process and procedure. It's not like anyone can just pull anything off and do anything because it's Islamic penal code. No, there's a whole process for that. And a verdict has to be passed and so on. But when that, when you have that taking place, qisas, there is life in this actually. Yes, people's lives are saved. It goes back to that prevention that I was speaking of and the other reasons that our scholars have explained. So um, let's be realistic is I feel what the Quran is saying when it says that there is life in it. In other words, realistically speaking, not idealistically, realistically speaking, there is no way out of having such a thing. Now, different countries of the world will not 
necessarily have the same rules and laws. Some states, um, even in America, for example, will have different laws versus other states. When it comes to capital punishment, there will be different rules and laws as well. So all in all, it just shows that Islam has its eye on the bigger picture and wants to make sure that prevention is at the top of the list of priorities versus trying to fix things up when they go wrong. Page number 116 of the Holy Qur'an talks about um, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know sometimes a question will come to mind, uh, why all the different religions by God? Couldn't have God just you know sent one religion and just have everyone adhere to that one religion, that's all. Because when the different religions come, that's when a lot of other things also go, go, go downhill. Other things go bad. Yes, Personal interests will come into the picture. Some people will not want to embrace the new faith and so on and so forth. Why all the different religions by God? So um, let's recite the verse and see what, the, what we get out of it in regards to the answer to this question here. This is verse number 48 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَمُهَيْمِنًا عَلَيْهِ فَاحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِمَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ وَلَا تَتَّبِعْ أَهْوَاءَهُمْ عَمَّا جَاءَكَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ لِكُلٍ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَةً وَمِنْهَاجًا وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَجَعَلَكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً وَلَكِنْ وَلَكِنْ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا آتَاكُمْ فَاسْتَبِقُوا الْخَيْرَاتِ إِلَى اللَّهِ مَرْجِعُكُمْ جَمِيعًا فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ فِيهِ تَخْتَلِفُونَ The translation of, surah, of verse 48 We have sent down to you the book with the truth confirming what was before it of the book and as a guardian over it or an aid over it. Okay, so let me explain this line and this is what I said um, when we were in the beginning of our session that you know we're going to have another page that we're going to talk about where it speaks about the Qur'an yes, coming down as a book that is confirming those books that were before it. Brothers and sisters, the Qur'an, as I said, it's not like a religion will come down, a new religion will come and will go against everything of the teachings of the previous one. No, they come to complete each other. Yes, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. So if the Qur'an comes down, it's not like the usul al-deen are going to necessarily change. It's not like Judaism, for example, or Christianity, the untouched, unadulterated versions of it, of course, of them, of course, um, didn't, didn't believe in ma'ad, for example. Now the Qur'an says there's a ma'ad. No. They all believe in these same principles, these same pillars and foundations. Yes, lots of times the laws will change, some of the details will change, but the main tenets, the main teachings um, of these faiths, the main even laws will not change. Like It's not like God will now, something that's haram, right, will make it halal. Oh, incest was haram, now we're going to make it halal, or vice versa. No, no, that's not how, it's, that's not how it works. Um, uh, there will be some details that will change and become more complete. Some things will become harder. Some things might even become easier. Okay, we have cases for both and examples for both. But all in all, they come to perfect each other, not to go against each other. So when we say uh, the next religion that comes nullifies and invalidates the previous one, yes, that means that, okay, you now you have to follow everything of this new one. But not that this new one goes against every teaching of the old one. Okay, so it says that we sent down the book, confirming what was before it of the book, and as a guardian over it, or a helper, or an aid over it. So judge between them by what Allah has sent down, and do not follow their desires against the truth that has come to you. So now this is the part that we want to focus on right here. For each community among you we had appointed a code of law and a path. And had Allah wished, he would have made you one community. But his purposes required that he should test you in respect to what he has given you. So take the lead in all good works. To Allah shall be the return of you all, whereat he will inform you concerning that about which you used to differ. 
Okay, so this verse is explaining why God just didn't send one faith down and say, I want everyone to follow this faith. Yes, someone might say that the essence of all the faiths is one, and that is monotheism, tawheed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, things like that. But at the end of the day, we don't have the same exact sharia, yes, that the Prophet Musa had. Prophet Musa had a different sharia. Prophet Isa had a different sharia. Islam has a different sharia. Simple as that. All right, so I want us to underline the, this part, these lines of verse number 48. For each community among, among you, we had appointed a code of law and a path. And had Allah wished, He would have made you one community. Okay, so it's making it clear that God could have sent down one path, but He didn't. Why? It says here, but His purposes required that He should test you in respect to what He has given you. Okay, so in other words, Allah is not going to go against the reason why He brought you into this life in the first place. What was the point of us coming into this life? The different tests that will come our way. Yes, I know that we will sometimes refer to this as a convenient answer that is given. Oh, oh, it's a test by Allah, it's a test by Allah. But really, that's what it is. Lots of things in this life are a test for us. The fact that He sends another faith and another faith is also a test for us. But I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, what is religion for, brothers and sisters? It is for our completion, our perfection, our, us securing an akhirah and so on, right? Okay, so we have to understand mankind is constantly developing. We are constantly developing as a race over the course of history. Yes, we are developing. If we are developing enough and growing enough, even intellectually maybe, and we reach a certain point where Allah feels, okay, now I, want, I need to add more to their plate so that they can grow more, He will do so. And the time will come for a new faith. Now it seems, based on this statement that I just made, and this understanding, that mankind reached that maturity that they needed to during the Holy Prophet's time to deserve the final message, the final religion of Islam. Okay, They reached that growth. Now is that it? There is no more growth? No, I'll talk about this later as well. But the growth that we have after that isn't one that requires a new religion, but there's other things that might happen. So I'll talk about that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, it would be wrong, and as the translation, of course this was in brackets, when it says, but His purpose is required that He should test you, it's wrong even. It goes against what Allah did everything for and, the, and why He created everything in the first place. It goes against that, the purpose of creation. For us to have developed enough to be able to grow more through a new religion that comes with more for us, but for Allah not to send that religion. It's kind of like saying, you know, in the gym, I'm going to give you a few examples for this. In the gym, you've reached a point where you are benching 150 pounds now. Okay, well, what are you going to do? Bench 150 for the rest of your life or you're going to add more and make it 160 now, 150, 175. Why? Because you want to grow more. You want to make some more gains, right? So if your trainer doesn't add, he's like, okay, mashallah, you are doing 15 reps of 150 pounds on the bench press. Let's just do this for the rest of your life. No, any other trainer will call this trainer out and say, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to Aren't you doing this for his growth? If you're doing it for his growth and you want him to make some major gains, now it's time to bump up the, the, the weights. 15 reps of 150 pounds on the bench press. If someone can do 15 reps, that's awesome. <laughs> but 15 reps is a little too much. Usually they'll say, you know, I'm not an expert here, but usually they'll say, you know, keep it with, with like in the, I don't know, six, seven, eight, max 10 rep range. So drop the reps from 15 to 10, add to the weight, go from 150 to 160, 165. That's what they'll say. So that trainer is not doing their, um, uh, their client any good by keeping it the way it is. They have to add now. 
and it won't be easy for that person, but that person will appreciate it because in the end the gains is what they're all about and what they're all after. And so when they look in the mirror and they see the gains, they'll be thankful for what you did. Okay, that's an example that I want to give. Another example is um, these phones, the smartphones that keep coming out. The more and more they develop, the more and more they add to the hardware in these phones, the processors in them, the, 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 um, the RAM that they have. And the, the RAM that phones, smartphones today have are like 10 times more than the RAM that uh, our computers had like 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I still remember in the 90s, you had like the, uh, you had like 256 megabyte RAMs, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> okay, um, the capacity of the phones. There was a time where, you know, um, one gigabyte might have been a lot. Then eight gigabytes was a lot. Now like 256 or, or 132 is where it's at, you know, or I don't know, is it 132? I forget, 256 and 512 or something, yeah. So um, this is where we're at now, okay? So now think about it, brothers and sisters. The smartphones, they have been upgraded so much with their hardware. But think about it, like let's say a company like Apple doesn't upgrade the software that this phone runs and keeps the software from four years ago, the iOS from four years ago. That's laughable. If you're upgrading the phone, hardware-wise, then the software has to keep up with it, right? It doesn't make sense. Or it's like a child who, you know, is growing, first it's nursing on mommy's milk, but then eventually this baby is big enough to have solid foods, and you don't give it solid foods. Or the baby grows up and now you give it solid foods, but now it's grown even older, and now it's time to move on to even more complex carbohydrates that that, ch that child, that baby should have, or that child should have, and a more, more diverse uh, um uh, type of food that it's that this be, that this kid is supposed to consume. No, 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 no. He was doing good with mommy's milk. Let's just do that for the next five years. You got problems then. <laughs> we got problems here. No, that's not how things work. So as there is growth and development, physically, hardware-wise, yes, software also has to be upgraded. Religion also needs to be upgraded as well, so to speak. So. This shows that whether humankind likes it or not, there is development. And because of that, Allah will send a new religion that will add more to our plate so that we grow even more. So could have Allah kept one faith, one religion for all of us? Yeah, He could have sent one prophet and that was it. And there was one faith that He always wanted us to follow. But look, who are we kidding? If we look at the people of 2,500 years ago, if we look at the people of 3,500 years ago, if we look at the people of 1,400 years ago, yes, they're different from each other. They, the, even intellectual capacity might be different. And so as a result, Allah's expectations are going to be different. But yes, mankind reaches a point that um, Islam is for them. Okay, Islam is now suitable for them, so Allah legislates such for them. And a good way to know how much we have developed, brothers and sisters, as people who are recipients of divine guidance, okay? How much we've developed, a good example of it is the fact that there was a time where miracles consisted of what? Consist consisted of, for example, Prophet Salih's camel coming out of the mountain. Prophet Ibrahim, the fire not burning him. Prophet Musa splitting the, that body of water, that sea, whatever you want to call it. Prophet, uh, uh, Prophet uh, Suleiman speaking to the animals. Prophet Isa bringing uh, to life the dead. These were the miracles of the people of the, of the way past. Now what miracles are we talking about in this day and age? The Holy Quran is the miracle that we have now. Yes, according to Islam, the Qur'an is a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Qur'an challenges others. We talked about this on page 4 of the Holy Qur'an, the lesson we had there. Allah challenges people to try their best and get as much help as they can from anyone they, will, they like to try their best to come up with a Qur'an like this one, but they won't be able to. Alright, so 
the miracles, the, the genre of miracles has even changed. What does that tell us? That tells us that there has been a development within mankind and that will entail and necessitate more and more religion. Yes? Now, it reaches the point where Allah feels that, okay, that's enough legislation of religion, there, that's enough laws, right? But now there will be other things that I will test mankind with. I will put mankind through because there's even more room for development. And this is where some of our scholars have explained very, very intricately and beautifully how the times of ghaybah are also a stage within the timeline of mankind's development that mankind has to go through. Ghaybah itself, we don't have time to get into these details of course, but Ghaybah itself, is, it is said that this is something great um, that adds to the development of mankind. And then the dhuhur, what is the difference between, what is the difference between dhuhur and hudur of an imam? There's a big difference actually they say. Then raj'a, then qiyamah, and all of the great stages and steps that we will put behind us in our growth and our uh, journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, Allah can always just give a very basic faith and be like, hey, I just want you to follow this faith, that's it. But He wants our growth and for our growth things might get a little more detailed, they might get a little more harder. And of course, as I said, there will be some ease that sometimes even will come with a new faith. Page number 117 of the Holy Qur'an. Who is your wali? O Qur'an, tell us who is our wali? Who are the ones that we are supposed to take as our wali? Wali meaning, now they'll translate it to guardian, um, but it means a person who has wilaya. That means authority over us, the one who we have to listen to over ourselves even and over everyone else. This verse that we're going to talk about, or verses, um, these are very famous ones in the Shi'i school of thought. And of course, it, one of them is the main one, verse 55 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. Um, but all in all, this is one of the most famous verses of the Holy Qur'an in the Shi'i school of thought, and it is referred to as Ayatul Wilayah the verse of wilaya, in which wilaya is um, designated for, uh, to a certain group of people, yes, uh, that we need to talk about and then see if it's actually a group of people or if it's only one person. Verse number 55 and verse number 56 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. إِنَّمَا وَلِيُّكُمُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةَ وَهُمْ رَاكِعُونَ وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فَإِنَّ حِزْبَ اللَّهِ هُمُ الْغَالِبُونَ Your guardian is only Allah, your wali, is only Allah, His Apostle and the faithful who maintain the prayer and give the zakat while in ruku'. Whoever takes for his guardians Allah, His Apostle and the faithful should know that the party of Allah are indeed the victorious. Hezbollah, the party of Allah, are indeed the victorious. Okay, so there is a story uh, in regards to these verses or this verse 55 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. Before, before getting into that story, okay, as I said, wilaya equals authority, okay, um, and there will be some things I'll say about this later, but for now, wilaya equals authority. Why? Because it says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your wali, is the one who has wilaya over you. Okay. Allah has wilaya then. Is this wilaya mean something other than authority? Of course it means authority. It can't mean anything else. It can't mean Allah is your friend here. Okay. Wa rasuluhu, the authority of the Prophet. Okay, so this is authority, not anything else. That's what we should understand from this verse. Even if Someone says, well, in the hadith of Ghadir, when he says, man kuntu mawlah, over there it means friend. Even if you believe that over there it means friend, over here you can't believe that it means friend because it's talking about Allah's wilaya over us. Innama waliyukumullah. Allah is your wali, he's your friend. No, he is the one who has authority over us. And the Prophet 
you can tell that this verse is speaking about something very important here, not just some Allah likes you all. And that's not how the Quran, when it says, when it's speaking about love of Allah, it doesn't use the word wali, it uses hub. Uses yeah, we've talked about this before. And uh, they're actually, if I can find it really quick here, I think we have a verse that we, we didn't cover it, but I passed over it in one of these previous pages, actually. I'm not sure, actually, if I can find it right now. But yes, several times in the Quran, uh, love is used. The word love is used. Oh, actually, it's right here. Um, verse number 54 of Surah Al-Ma'idah. So the verse right before this one, it says, That if there are people out there who might go against the faith once you know and, and turn back and become apostates, don't worry. Allah is going to bring a people that love him and he loves them. So hub is usually used when Allah is speaking about love. And we've had other verses too that we covered before uh, that the word hub was used. Um, anyway, so number one, wilaya here means authority and nothing other than authority. Alright, so Allah has authority over us. Who else? The Prophet. Who else? amanu, The ones who are believers. Question, do all believers have authority over me? Just because someone's a believer, right? They believe in Allah. They believe in Islam. They're Muslim. Does that mean that I have to listen to them. Anything they tell me to do, I have to because they have authority over me, over me now. Right? That's not possible. Of course that's not possible. It's not that everyone out there will have the same authority that the Allah has, that the Prophet has over us. Because look, who are we kidding? They're, these are all mentioned in the same line and the only thing that separates them is the word and. Yes? The letter wow in Arabic. Or the word wow wa in Arabic, which means and. Verily, Allah is your wali, the Prophet is your wali, and the people who and those who believe. Alright, so they share the same authority here. In other words, we have to we have to listen to them the same way. If Allah tells me something or if the Prophet tells me something, I have to listen. The same way I listen to Allah, the same way I listen to the Prophet. Yes, the Prophet gets his authority from Allah. He doesn't have independent authority, and this is something we covered before in another lesson. But at the end of the day, we have to listen to him, whatever he says. And then all of a sudden it says, those who believe. Is that true? That's not even true. No one believes in the fact that we have to listen to all the mu'mineen the same way we listen to the Prophet and Allah. Someone might say, but no, no, it's not just saying those who believe only. Because that encompasses even believers who are Muslim, but they sin and disobey God. No, it says, الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةَ the ones who give zakat and establish prayer. But once again, that doesn't solve our problem. Question, if, if a person establishes prayer and gives charity and zakat, does that mean now they have the authority that the Prophet had? In other words, do I have to follow everything they say? No, no one believes in such a thing. No Zaid, Bakr, Hassan, Ali out there, right? just because they're Muslim and they pray and they give zakat, doesn't mean they have authority over me now that in a way that I have to listen to whatever they say the same way the Prophet has such an authority sallallahu alayhi wa No. So how do we how can we narrow it down more to someone that actually has such an authority that we have to listen to no matter what? Well, this last clause, according to the Shi'i school of thought, does the job. The ones who give zakat while they are in ruku' While they're in ruku' All of a sudden, yes, that big scope of believers who establish prayer and give zakat is narrowed down to one individual. <laughs> Just like that, with that one clause. SubhanAllah how Allah does it. With one uh, restrictor here, or qualifier, excuse me. One qaid, one uh, stipulation, whatever you want to call it. One clause. The ones who give zakat while they are in ruku'. And this is where the story comes in. Now, I'm going to get into the story a little bit. It's not a long story, it's a short one. 
And then we're going to get into some of the questions that people have presented um, when it comes to this verse. The story goes like this, that a, a beggar comes into the masjid once and he's asking the people to help him. No one eventually ends up helping him. And so he kind of raises his hands to God and does and, and, and supplicates to Allah and speaks to Allah and says, Oh Allah, be witness that I came to the mosque and no one helped me when I was in need. And it's when he's saying this that Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, while he's praying puts his uh, hand out and like kind of points to his finger and makes a gesture in a way that, you know, take my ring as a sadaqah for you, a zakat for you. And that beggar actually does so and takes that ring. Okay, and then this verse is revealed. The Shi'i school of thought believes that this is Ali ibn Abi Talib Now, I do have to say, when I say the Shi'i school of thought, is what I mean, what I mean is that the Shi'i school of thought is convinced and takes this as proof that Ali ibn Abi Talib has wilaya. Okay? This does not mean that you will not find traces of this story in Sunni sources. Yes, we have a ton. I don't have time to get into these details. Now, are these that, that speak of the story and this verse that was revealed as a result and as a shatn al nuzul for this uh, verse? But um, are these first hand, second hand? How many are they? All I will say that is that we have a, a good number of um, people who have narrated, narrated it and a good number of books that have, it has been narrated in Shi'i and Sunni. But at the end of the day, every school of thought will have their take, will have their understanding and will be either convinced or not convinced by the arguments for it. But the Shi'i school of thought very, very, very strongly and firmly believes that yes, this verse is speaking about Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, and that incident and that story and that Shatnu Nuzul. Yes. And so this verse very clearly and very nicely is saying, okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has wilaya. The Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi has wilaya as the seal of the prophets and the one that Allah sent. And Ali ibn Abi Talib as his successor is the one who also has wilaya. And yes, we believe that we have to listen to uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib salam when he is Imam the same way that we have to listen to the Prophet when he is Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Okay, That's just how we see it based on verses like these. Okay, so now that this is the story, some Shi'is might say, oh wow, look at that, so clear, you know, no, it's it's airtight, there's nothing that they, anyone can say in response and, ref, and, in refute, and, and in refutation of this verse. But I do want to share with you, brothers and sisters, some of the challenges that have been put forth, and they are pretty substantial actually. We have to um, give credit to where it is due. There is some nice scholarship that has happened here and some nice back and forth between Shi'i scholars and Sunni scholars. And so this has to be acknowledged. And we have to, instead of running away from these things, if anyone does, they have to embrace and have to understand that everyone will have their own argument and will be either convinced or not convinced. You can't call each other out. All right, Both schools of thought have a very rich heritage and their scholars have left behind beautiful legacies. And so these have to be studied and appreciated. Okay, Now I want to share with you some of the questions that have been put forth. And the Shi'i scholars have answers for all of them, brothers and sisters, but I won't have time to get into the answers. But just so that you have an idea of where the questions lie, okay, where the challenges are, yes, I'm going to share these with you. This itself requires a course. Inshallah one day, someday in the future, if we have the time, um, we'll, we'll have such a course on this. Just this verse and the different um, approaches, different angles it's looked at, the different takes of it, the different questions and challenges and the answers that have been given. But so for just to give you an idea of um, some of those questions and challenges. Number one, it says, those who give zakat while they are in ruku' Right? That's how you translated it. But it says, وَهُمْ رَاكِعُونَ While they, are, they have ruku' sometimes ruku' can mean khudu' khudu' meaning like humility. In other words, those who give zakat with humility, not that they're all arrogant about it or make a big deal out of it or, and, and so on. So some have said ruku' here means just being humble. But you know, we will, there will be answers. I, I, I'm tempted to give an answer, but 
um, I think a very e very easily these can some of these at least some of them easily can be answered and some of them more technically can still be answered but this one easily can be answered the next one it says here alladhina yuqimuna salata wa yu'tuna zakat wa hum raki'un alladhina is plural those who okay and the pronouns that have been used yuqimuna yu'tuna um, even raki'un is plural so we have a lot of plural in this sentence, yes? But you all are narrowing it down to one individual, Ali ibn Abi Talib, how is that? How does that, um, how do you reconcile these two? That's one person, but this is plural. Well, this one is also easily answered, brothers and sisters. I'm not gonna get into details. I will say that the story of Mubahala can answer this one, that in that verse, uh, the Prophet says, Nisa'ana wa nisa'akum, our women will bring our women, you bring your women, but the Prophet only brought one woman with him. And that was Fatima to Zahra alayhi salatu wassalam. Alright, but yeah, once again, I don't <laughs> I don't want to go against my word of not getting into answers here. So these are some of the easier ones. Um, and then there will be ones that, are, that will require a little bit more expertise and might get a little more technical. For example, some might say, how is Ali ibn Abi Talib, who we all know, was so into his prayer. We all know as Shia, as Sunni, as Muslims, we all know how Ali was in his prayer. To the point that there are some, you know, that famous story of pulling the arrow from his foot when he was praying, that you will find an account of in history as well. Um, but even if, if a person says, I don't believe in that, that's still fine. All in all, everyone knows Ali salam, how um, into his Salat he is. So how does it make sense, they will say, for him to have even heard this individual saying such a thing in the mosque and complaining to Allah about not getting anything while he is in need and then Imam Ali putting his hand out to give his ring to him. That doesn't make sense, they'll say. So there will be an answer to this. But that is one of the questions that is put out there. Another one is that, no, wali means friend. Don't say wali means authority. Why? Well, let's look at the previous verses. The previous verses, for, so for example, um, verse number 51, that's on the same page. It's the first verse on page 117. Verse 51 says, Don't take them as your awliya, your walis. Don't take them as your friends. Don't take the Yahud and Nasara of your time as your friends. Whoever takes them as a friend is one of them. So you see the context? So here, the same page is talking about wali and awliya and tawalli and all that. So it must, be it must mean friend and friendship. Yes, there is an answer to that as well, brothers and sisters. Another thing that will be said is, Ali wasn't a wali during, when was this? Let me say it like this. When was this verse revealed? During the Prophet's time, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, or after him? And the answer obviously is going to be during the Prophet's time, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. So the question is, when the Prophet is alive and is a Prophet, is he's the one who has authority, right? He is our Imam even, right? So we have to follow him. So when this verse is revealed about Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam, what you're saying that he is the wali during the time of the Prophet when the Prophet is the one who has ultimate authority. So how do, you, how do these add up? And there's an answer for that as well. Another question, and now you're getting an idea, brothers and sisters, why I'm not answering them because it'll take a long time. This itself is a course. This itself is a, is a presentation, a one or two or three hour presentation. Uh, it requires something like that to get into all these nice details. But these are some nice um, challenges and questions that ha that are put forth. I, I, I really personally, I, I find it very uh, interesting. Another thing that is said is, why didn't Ali um, argue for himself using this verse after the Holy Prophet passed away and Imam Ali felt like he needs to be, he is the Imam and has been appointed. He should have used this verse and argued using this verse for himself, but he never used this verse. That shows that this verse isn't saying what you, O Shia, are trying to conclude from it. We will also have an answer for that, brothers and sisters. Another thing that is said is, look, in the verse it's very clear that the zakat that is speaking of, it is speaking of is not a just a normal mustahab zakat. It's talking about a wajib zakat. Throughout the Qur'an, 
it speaks about zakat in this way, and we all know in those cases it's talking about wajib zakat. Plus, it says yuqimuna salah. Salah is wajib. And so when you bring zakat after it, it's talking about the wajib zakat probably, probably because of this context. So wajib zakat. If Imam Ali gave his ring out of, as zakat, the question is, did Imam Ali even have that much wealth for zakat to be wajib on him to begin with? That's what some will say. And we will also have an answer to this. And finally, another one. This isn't all the questions, but these are the main ones I would say. The last question that I want to share with you today is how uh, that, that some will pose is that how can even how can he even have such a ring that is going to help this individual to this extent? Because we've heard stories, they'll say. We have narrations and accounts that this ring, how much it was worth, and so on and so forth. In a nutshell, brothers and sisters, our, our ulama, they say like those accounts are not uh, reliable ones and uh, this idea of this being a very, very uh, elaborate, very, very expensive ring um, is not true is, and is unfounded. So these are some of the uh, questions that are posed when it comes to the Shi'i school of thoughts argument using this verse as Ayatul Wilaya to prove the Wilaya of Amir al-Mu'minin But as I said, I think it's very clear-cut the verse itself is very clear-cut it, because we have that big problem that the wilaya that Allah has and the Prophet has cannot be shared by all the mu'mineen out there who pray and give zakat. That's for sure. So who is it talking about here? The only thing you will have to be 100% sure about is that wali here means authority, which um, our scholars have proven that as well. And it is true that the context is talking about um, not taking the Yahud and Nasara of that time as friends. But very easily um, uh, our scholars will uh, counter that uh, claim and will have their own arguments. As I said once again, uh, I know brothers and sisters that maybe some of you are thinking, man, we want to hear the answers to these. The answers are pretty nice, but as I said, it's uh, beyond the scope of our session. So inshallah that will have its own dedicated presentation sometimes, sometime in the future. So inshallah do dua for that. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. اللهم نور قلوبنا بالقرآن وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته